Welcome to the 20th European Talks, a podcast by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. This is the only podcast in the Western Balkans that focuses mainly on the region's EU perspectives. Our guest today is Dusan Relic, the head of the Brussels office of the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, which is located in Berlin. Dusan, first of all, are you and your family and colleagues well and safe? How are you coping with the way that the pandemic is affecting us all? It's difficult to cope with sitting at home for five weeks in a moment when the weather in Brussels is really brilliant. So I really wonder how comes that these parks and the streets are not full of people. One has to say that the Belgians are really disciplined people. What does Brussels look like? What do the EU institutions look like? I mean, is the Charlemagne building, for example, um, empty or are there lights burning in the evenings? There is certainly one light burning in the evening and this is on the last floor the private apartment of the head of the commission, Ursula von der Leyen. She has stayed all the time in the last couple of weeks there. She lives there and she's coordinating the work from there. Otherwise, plus Schumann and the region there, it's empty, it's even ghostly. And in spite of the fact that the weather is so marvelous, you don't see so many people going there or biking even there. Now, your institute is one of the foremost uh, think tanks, uh, German think tanks and European think tanks, I would dare say. What is it like working for a think tank at a time like this when all the focus seems to be on basically the health issues and also the economic impact of the pandemic? Are the think tanks also thinking about other issues, other topics? Well, in the transparency register of the European Union and the European Parliament, there are 800 organizations saying that there are think tanks trying to influence the EU and NATO policies in Brussels. So for a lot of people, the last five weeks have been a little bit of a trauma because instead of the usual noise in the Brussels bubble, the conversations, the conferences, all of the talking head business now it's quiet and it's empty, so people have moved to the internet, to the webinars, and they're trying to organize every day a webinar or something new, but it's not the same feeling, it's not the same kind of exchange which is possible when you meet people uh, in real life. Turning to topics or to new topics, as of course, as you said, the measures and the practices against the pandemic are at the forefront. And also a lot of people are doing some crystal gazing, trying to decipher how the Europe, how Europe and how the world will look afterwards once this epidemic is gone. But I think that for think tanks, there could be also a kind of a crisis upcoming, especially in Brussels, because they are here to influence the policy making. And if you don't meet the people, because almost everyone is working from home, then at the end of the day, I think that uh, if this lasts long, a lot of money providers will start asking questions. Including, you know, do we really need 800 think tanks, registered think tanks? Um, are the Western Balkans... 
uh, these are organizations, not all of, all of them are think tanks, some are, some are academic organizations, but nevertheless, uh, 800 is a very, very serious figure. And are the Western Balkans on the horizon at all? Uh, it seems as if every country in the European Union uh, as, as a whole are in a way focused on their own problems. How much attention is there towards uh, specifically the Western Balkans? Well, if you look at the figures, then you will see that trade with Southeast Europe's six, these are the countries and the national economies which are not yet member of the European Union, account to something like 1% of the EU's external trade. And if you compare the population figures, the whole of Southeast Europe's six is only 3.4% of the EU's population. So in terms of numerical relations, the so-called Western Balkans are not really a prime cause of concern for the European Union. However, geopolitics play a role. Geopolitics in the sense that the European Union has for the last 30 years attempted to be the game changer after the disintegration of Yugoslavia and the EU has tried to establish itself as the driving force of uh, having the problems in the region solved. However, we all know that the problems still persist. So in the context of the fear that unresolved problems might take a bad turn in Southeast Europe and that some external actors who are quite posturing themselves in the region as well, such as China or, or Turkey or, or Russia or the uh, Islamic countries, you see that the external service of the European Union and also uh, DG NIR is paying attention to the region in the sense of uh, looking at whether the European Union can sustain its uh, influence in the region and at one point continue the approximation and the membership talks. We'll come back to the external influences once again, but I'd like to ask you, um, for example, in the midst, at uh, the height of the, of the pandemic crisis, the European Union has appointed a special uh, coordinator of the future talks between Belgrade and Pristina, Miroslav Lajczak. So that is one signal that we have not been forgotten. Uh, where else can we see these signs? What is the amount, for example, of assistance that is coming from Brussels towards the region? It's this difficult to gauge what amount is really being rolled out because the DGNIR, the, the, the Director General of Directorate General of the European Union in charge of the relations with the would-be member countries of the European Union in the Western Balkans has uh, quite soon re relocated the monies which were part of the so-called instrument for pre-accession assistance for the region to serve as aid. And if you take into account that uh, the countries, concretely Serbia, has been receiving about 200 million euros per month through this, uh, per year through this EPA instrument for pre-accession assistance program, then the figures have increased. 
However, this is not a dramatic increase, and the question is whether at the moment, just for medical aid, the countries really need more than they what they have already received. The real issue is what will happen in the future, because the countries of the region are deeply integrated into the European Union's economic infrastructure. So if the countries of the European Union, especially Germany and Italy, which are the most important trading and finance partners of the region, if they get, get, catch a cold, then the region, then Southeast European Six, have a very, very problematic fever. And uh, at the moment, it's not really clear whether all the reconstruction programs which the EU is rolling out for its member states will in any way also encompass the Southeast European Six. At the moment, and it was only yesterday, that the EU announced that it has arranged with the International Monetary Fund to provide more soft loans as, as liquidity aid to the region. But this is also, these are also loans. These are not uh, really grants. This is not uh, zero price capital. That's the issue. Will the countries of the region will be able to participate in programs based on free capital for recovery after the pandemic. Let us go back to uh, geopolitical posturing that you mentioned earlier. Certainly in Serbia, where we are, uh, where the European policy center is based, there has been a lot of attention and a lot of media attention, especially to any aid coming from uh, China or coming from Russia, and very, very little attention, especially in the state-controlled media, about the aid coming from the European Union. Uh, is this something which Brussels is aware of, is paying any attention to? Definitely. Uh, Brussels officials have noticed that, especially in Serbia, uh, the shipments arriving from Beijing or from Moscow have been warmly welcomed by the leading government representatives of Serbia. And uh, this has, of course, caused a little bit of consternation. Then all figures prove that in terms of economic assistance and in terms of economic interdependencies, the European Union is by far the most important uh, partner of the region. About 80% of the trade of the Southeast European Six is with the EU, mostly with Germany and with Italy. Most of the foreign direct investments come from the European Union, as well bank as the capital of the banks, which is in the hands of EU banks. And what is also extremely important is that the migrant workers have been for decades sending huge remittances to the region, which is of utmost importance for the budgets of the governments, for the economies, of course. So, uh, people interpret in Brussels this uh, political gesturing in Belgrade as a kind of a move ahead of the uh, elections, of the parliamentary and presidential elections in Serbia. And uh, all the polling is showing that the electorate body in Serbia has a strong authoritarian uh, leaning and that populist arguments are also fast to catch with such audiences. So I think that a lot of analysts here in Brussels believe that the government in Serbia and that the president of Serbia 
is actually appealing to such instincts of the electoral body uh, with full awareness that this is going to cause trouble in future relations with the West and the European Union. And what about the regional relationships? Is there any perspective in Brussels as to how are the countries of the region of the Western Balkans cooperating in these very, very difficult times? This is an issue which is certainly also observed, but it's at the margin of the main, of the, of the focus of the political discourse here in Brussels. There are too many unknown unknowns still with how, in medical terms, the world will deal with the pandemic, and especially the economic issues, the financial issues, are something of, of utmost importance to the EU leadership and to the governments of the member states of the European Union. So things which are, uh, sorry for using this term, of marginal importance to the EU are also marginally observed at the moment. And let's go once again to the economic impact. You already spoke about that. And of course, at this moment, it is way too early to even anticipate what is going to be what lies ahead of us in terms of economic hardships. You mentioned that if uh, major EU countries, major economic partners of the Western Balkans, that if they catch a cold, then the region uh, catches a fever. Uh, we certainly anticipate that there will be a fall in the gross national product of the major European economies and that that's going to have a serious reflection on the region. Are there, are there any um, sort of thoughts in Brussels at the moment of what uh, can happen with regional assistance? Is there any discussion maybe on increasing the IPA grants or opening some new funding? Uh, you've been an advocate of a Marshall Plan for, for the Western Balkans for years now, I know that. Um, is something like that even a remote possibility in your opinion? At the moment, the top brass of the European Union is fully concentrating on resolving the issue how economic aid how the redistribution of income will function in the European Union in the future, especially because of the plight of the southern European states, Italy and Spain, and of course Greece to a great extent. Relationships with uh, Southeast European six are not at the forefront of the debate, but one has to take into account that uh, the country has a population, as I said, is only 3-4% of the EU's population, so that also the amount of money which would be necessary to help the region is not that big. I guess that if the political situation in Belgrade, in Sarajevo, in Pristina and in Podgorica and in Skopje and in Tirana was better in the sense that the issues of human rights, democracy, and respect of the rule of law have not again come to the fore as in the last couple of weeks, then there would be a better political climate to support the countries financially in the future. At the moment when there are so many worrying reports about a regress in terms of the freedom of press and regress in the terms of democratic rights, 
and also an increase of authoritarian and populist rhetorics by the government, then I guess uh, people in Brussels and elsewhere in the West keep on asking themselves, why are we spending our taxpayers' money if the people down there don't take us seriously and not only uh, play games with China and with, with Russia, but simply ignore the basic principles of the European Union, and this is a rule of law and democracy and human rights is what has to be respected at any time. Dushita, thank you very much for already in advance answering what was supposed to be my, my last question, which is uh, your assessment of the state of democracy in the Western Balkans. Uh, in most of the countries of the Western Balkans, we have uh, pretty authoritarian uh, governments and, and systems uh, that have now, during the state of emergency, of in one shape or form, have become even more strict and more authoritarian. Are you an optimist that that kind of a state uh, of play will change when the, once the pandemic passes? Or are you a pessimist? Uh, well, I'm an analyst, you know, and this means that I, I tend to look always at statistics and figures. And if you look back into the speed of outward migration from the Southeast European Six to the EU in the last two or three years, then you see a, a very pronounced characteristical movement. And this is and, and I've tried with my colleagues to put it in simple mathematical terms that in 2018, for instance, almost every two minutes, one citizen of the Western Balkans received a residence permit in the EU. So people have started moving in even greater numbers towards the European Union because they have clearly seen that progress is not coming to them, so they are moving where they see progress. And in spite of the pandemic, and in spite of the increase of unemployment in Germany and in other places, the tendency is that these countries in the core of the European Union need more labor. They need more qualified labor, but they need also less qualified labor. This will continue. And the discrepancy in the income levels between the EU, the core EU countries and Southeast European is increasing. There is no convergence. There is no catching up in the region. So I'm afraid that the fabric of the societies in Southeast Europe is loosening. It's becoming worse. The critical mass of people who are demanding the respect of their democratic rights, I think is uh, thinning out. So this is my greatest worry, that the demographic tendencies are actually undermining the social structures which could be necessary to move again towards more rule of law and more democracy to be a kind of a loco locomotive to push forward in the right direction. Dushan, I thank you very much for this conversation. To our listeners, uh, you've obviously noted that the quality of this, uh, of this podcast is not what it should be because we don't have uh, the right conditions for a studio recording. Uh, Dushan, once again, uh, thank you very much for the conversation. I wish you, your family and your colleagues all the best. Uh, be well and stay safe. Thank you.